Welcome to the Living It Up Podcast. This is the Living It Up Podcast, where we explore the changing landscape of competitive golf. In this episode, we sit down with Tom Whitney, recent Corn Ferry Tour graduate who earned his PGA Tour card this year, also a 2010 grad of the Air Force Academy, making him only the third Service Academy graduate to earn a PGA Tour card. But first, this episode is brought to you by B-Dratty, the leader in performance golf apparel. B-Dratty makes the softest polos you'll ever wear, as well as ridiculously comfortable quarter zips, shorts, t-shirts, and even boxers. Their colors and fabrics are all naturally aged by the salts of the ocean for that perfectly lived-in vibe. Head to bdratty.com and use code LIVINGITUP30 for 30% off your purchase. This is Brian. I am joined by PGA Tour winner Billy Hurley III. And without any further ado, let's get to our chat with Tom. Tom Whitney, welcome to the Living It Up podcast. For our listeners that don't yet know you, uh, Tom, you are a 2010 graduate of this you know, small school in Colorado Springs called the Air Force Academy, then spent four years on active duty as a missile operator in the Air Force. But you're now a professional and just recently earned your PGA Tour card via the Corn Ferry Tour just last month. So congrats on that. But let's start with this. You've been a pro for technically 13 years, though nine of those playing competitively. I'm curious... Did you think you'd make it to the PGA Tour faster? You know, you've bounced around on Latino America, Corn Ferry. Now you've obviously earned your PGA Tour card. H- how many years when you turned pro did you think, I'm going to give this a go? Because that's that's often a, a, a tricky thing for uh, aspiring professionals to know uh, how long to keep that dream alive. Yeah, so um, I think it was middle of my college career um, where I realized I could probably give professional golf a chance and um obviously i knew i would have to serve my initial commitment with the air force first um and i kind of had in my mind like a a three-year plan of yeah start out on the mini tours get to get to the web.com at the time and and then i should be i should be able to be uh good enough and where i need to be to get to the pj tour um and then three turn to five, turn to seven, turn to nine. And um, yeah, here, here we are finally breaking through to the, to the big show. Um, but I mean, there's so many things in golf that you can't be taught um, via word or via instruction. I mean, it's just all experiential. So um, I mean, every year I've gotten a little better, a little wiser, a um, little fitter, um, everything's kind of all about 1%, 1% better every day. And, um, yeah, it's, it's very cool to see the, the, the slow constant progress and, uh, finally achieving my dream of getting there. Well, well, congrats again. And I guess officially it was one month ago that you officially earned your tour, your, your PGA tour card, but this is an, an abnormal season. As of late, we've had these wraparound schedules where, you would have the opportunity to earn your card and then play on the PJ tour many, you know, maybe just a few weeks later or a month or so later when the new season got started. Now we are going to a calendar year schedule. So I assume your first event would be, would be Sony at, at the, in the new year. What, what will you be doing now with this uh, time off uh, to, to practice and prepare? Yeah, so that's correct. We start up in Sony first week of January, and then uh, we have all of calendar year 2024 to compete. Um, finishing in the fall like the guys are doing this year um and uh, honestly it's it's perfect timing in my books as far as the schedule goes um if i had graduated last year um i don't know if my wife would have let me go straight into the fall series just because you're playing 26 events on the corn ferry tour and then you're expected to go the very next week out to napa and um you know play six or seven more events before the year is out um, and that's just a, that's a big ask. Um, and, you know, I've been married 13 years. We have four kids, uh, 10 and under. Um, and I've, I've just learned to balance golf and family. And um, I've started to prioritize family a little more than golf um, in the recent years, actually. And um, ironically, you know, it's kind of benefited me, benefited me a little more, um, whether it's just better perspective out on the course or, you know, peace of mind, knowing that my kids still love me, whether I shoot 80 or 62, um, you know, that, that will never change. And, um, just prioritizing the fact that I'm a, a husband and a dad 
and then kind of golfer as a, as a third, um, third role, third title. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for the break, um, between first week in October and the first week of January. I've gotten used to this as I've been on corn ferry for the last, um, well, I played six seasons. I've been on there without interruption since 2020. And, um, yeah, I've been, I've been able to enjoy off seasons from October to uh, January every year. So, um, yeah, it's just, it looks like some intentional practice and hitting the gym four or five days a week and getting, getting strong and getting ready for the marathon. That is the PJ tour season, um, working on a couple swing changes and just consistency in the short game. Um, and then, yeah, just trying to be ready and, and uh, roaring to go come January. So have they given you any sense of how many events that you think they think you'll get in? Obviously this next year, 2024 is a brand new season, right? We, we, we've never played this season on the PGA tour with the signature events and the full field events and kind of that sort of thing. It, it, I mean, before we hit record, we were, we were chatting about orientation a couple of weeks ago uh, in Ponte Vedra and, and, for, for our listeners who don't know, you know, rookies for the PGA Tour have a couple day orientation to get, you know, immersed in all things PGA Tour behind the scenes um, and, and and whatnot. So I'm guessing, Tom, one of those things might have been a, a projection of some modeling that the tour did on, on how many events you might get in. Because it's also a shortened season. There's not the fall. So what rookies maybe got in 24, 25, did, did, did you hear any number like 22 or 20 or? So my guess is, yeah, probably at least 22. Um, it, it almost, it almost simplifies the schedule for a rookie sure. because there are less tournaments to Monday qualify for. So it's almost like the graduates are either going to be in or they're out. Um, I don't think there's going to be as many events where, you know, two or five or 12 of the graduate category get in and then the bottom half or two thirds have to go play in the Monday qualifier or just sit the week out. Um, it's, it's almost pretty clear that other than the signature events and the majors and the smaller field invitationals, we should have pretty good access to all of the other events, which puts together, you know, a pretty full schedule and a pretty good rhythm too, as far as being on the road, you know, two, three weeks in a row, maybe, maybe one or two four-week stretches um, and then a handful of one, two, and three weeks off in a row based on signature events and, and majors and wherever they fall. Yeah, the schedule is almost built for you in that sense, like you're saying. You don't have to wonder much. You just you, you know you're not in the signature events. You're not in the majors. Obviously, you can do something about that with your with your play, but, but as it stands right now, you kind of just know where you're playing and where you're not. It's not right. a way to have it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, looking through, I think there was maybe one stretch where I, I may have to decide on skipping, you know, one in a four week stretch, um, that I may be eligible for. Um, but you know, I can, I can face that decision as we get closer. And, and, and like you said, you know, the goal, the goal, the, the initial goal is to keep the card, right. To finish top 125 at a minimum. Um, I'd say the next most important number that all of golf is going to focus on is now that top 50 to now be fully exempt for the signature series events the following year. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would, I would love to complicate my schedule next year by playing really well. And, you know, the, the five events leading up to a signature event, and I'm allowed to now play in that event and get some good money and automatic points and, um, you know, whatever that entails. And yeah, I would love to add some chaos to the, to the schedule. Yeah. I've always said, you know, there's like problems that I don't know about. Like when I was a rookie, when I was younger on tour, there's, I'm, I'm sure that there's like problems I don't know about, but I'm, I'm willing to find out what they are. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm willing to face them by playing well and, and, you know, figuring out that new schedule, like you're saying. Right. Yeah, so you'd have some good chaos should you, you know, play well enough to qualify for these signature events, but you sort of know it sounds like that you'll have 18 or 20 events. Do any of those 
courses or tournaments catch your eye? Are they courses that you've you've always looked forward to playing? Are they courses that you you know maybe watched on TV or or dreamed about in in your last you know nine years aspiring toward the PGA Tour? Yeah, so it's going to be awesome starting out in Sony. Um, obviously, just for tourist reasons, um, great place to start. I'll I'll be able to bring my wife with me, uh, leave the kids at home um, with with my parents. Um, so that's that's a huge help and blessing. And um, <clears throat> so starting in Hawaii, and then also I hear it's windy and and pretty pretty narrow, and the ball runs quite a bit. So um, handful of players have told me that that fits my game and. Um, so I'm looking forward to that test. And I mean, Dallas in the winter, all it does is is blow 20 to 40 miles per hour. So I'll have some good prep work leading into that. And then we go straight into the La Quinta event, which is where I, I grew up. I spent middle school and high school in La Quinta. So um, in fact, that was my debut. Nope, not my debut. That was one of my uh, only three starts on the PGA Tour. Um, that was a hometown invite I got back when it was um, it was right before the American Express Open, uh, Humana Challenge, maybe. Um, and uh, that's the only cut that I've made on the PJ Tour. So um, right off the bat, uh, early in the season, getting to go back to my hometown, play in front of uh, friends and family and, um, you know, hopefully have a good showing there. I'm looking forward to that. And then straight to San Diego, where um, I played one year at Junior Worlds uh, out on Torrey Pine South. So, um, yeah, I mean, just <laughs> in the first three, I'm looking forward to all of them. And, um, uh, I, I would say, I don't know enough about the courses to have any predispositions where I, I think they don't fit my game. Um, or, you know, I have any negative thoughts going into it. Um, I'm just going to be eager and looking, looking forward to an opportunity at every single one of them. One thing I'm curious about, because I've heard others talk about this maybe mindset shift or maybe like strategy or risk-taking shift that has to happen when you go from the Corn Ferry Tour to the PGA Tour. And, and what I mean by that is on the Corn Ferry Tour, most weeks it is a you know foot on the gas, make as many birdies as you can. The courses maybe allow for that more aggressive play. And you it, and it's not odd to see you know scores in the, the high 20s or even touching 30 under par. You know, on the PGA Tour, often most weeks, uh, you, you don't have to shoot 20, you know, the La Quintas of the world, maybe withstanding, you don't need to get into the twenties or the high twenties to, to win or really compete or, or get a top 10. I'm curious, do you think about your, your strategy or your risk-taking any differently as you've now, you know, graduated to the big show? This episode is brought to you by B Dratty, the leader in performance golf apparel. 10 years ago, B Dratty started out on a mission to make superior performance golf polos. They traded shiny synthetic fabrics for soft organic Peruvian Pima cotton and kept the details clean and simple. Today, Bidratti still makes the softest polos you'll ever wear, as well as ridiculously comfortable quarter zips, shorts, t-shirts, and even boxers. Their colors and fabrics are all naturally aged by the salt of the ocean for that perfectly lived-in vibe. Head to bidratti.com and use code LIVINGITUP30 for 30% off your purchase. Thanks to our friends at Bidratty for their support of the Living It Up podcast. I, I think I'll be okay in that department as far as, um, I, I feel like my course management over the last few years has gotten a lot smarter as far as um, knowing when, it, when I'm facing a true green light pin and then otherwise, you know, um, making sure I'm not short side myself or putting me in a place where par is really going to be a difficult score. Um, so yeah. And, and corn fairy, um, we, we go to a lot of spots that are hit with rain pretty hard during those seasons that we go there. And, um, we have a lot of soft green conditions, um, and some inconsistency with green speeds just based on climate and, and weather and amount of precipitation they get. Um, so we have, some weeks where it's pretty firm and rolling 12 and a half, 13. And then we have some where it's probably an 11 and you can throw a dart. Um, and I've heard maybe Billy can attest to this more, but the, the consistency I think is there a little bit more on the PJ tour, as far as green speeds are always um, pretty quick. They're usually on the firmer side and they're just a little more consistent across the board. Um, rather than trying to have to adapt week in and week out to new greens. 
Billy, what do you what do you got for that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's a generally a, a fair statement that you know the way the way I put it on tour is like twelve and a half is fast and eleven is slow, right? So it kind of lives in the in the eleven and a half to twelve range for for the most part. You have the I guess you have like what I'll call like the the resort courses, right? Um, you know, I think Diamante they just play. They go to Bermuda next week. Um, you you start thinking about um, Puerto Rico and some some of those other ones where they're you know in that resort world. They they're slow, you know, ten and a half kind of, kind of thing because of because of wind mostly. But um, I think that's a, that's a fair statement. There is obviously a running joke that says that you know if you haven't had rain in a while, schedule a tour event. It'll you know it'll rain rain that week. But um, as long as you don't get rain, which is the thing you can't control, like you like you noted, but it is more the the schedules more in the way of it's not the rainy season versus the corn Ferry tours. Kind of you play where you can play when you can play the the, the PGA tour. You know as the big show. That we've noted you can the tour can run the schedule a little bit more to to the benefit of consistency so, so billy I'll, I'll i know we're asking the questions today but i'll put you on the spot uh, take me back to your rookie year on tour and answer this for me I, I wish i had done x differently oh that's a good question i wish i had done practice differently i practiced too much um i you know yeah just never kind of put it down especially tournament week wise i'd say you know just kind of just kind of it's a it's it's just hard i mean rookie year is hard that is a real thing you're in new cities you're at new golf courses you're at new hotels you know you 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 wait you get there on saturday and you go well shoot i didn't know there was the back exit out of the locker room that could have gotten me to the range 3 minutes faster you know, just all that stuff where you realize, oh, I stayed on the wrong side of town. This was stupid. I should have been at that hotel over there. You know, these these types of things that like Tom mentioned earlier, you can't some of this you can't learn. You can't learn by word. You know, some people can tell you I'll oh, stay at this hotel, stay that hotel, some of that stuff. But like some of the other stuff, you, you just you know, you just have to go do it. You just have to learn by experience. But I think that I I wish I would have practiced better at, at tournament weeks. I wish I would have practiced tournament weeks better. Yeah, and I, I feel like every veteran I've spoke to that's given me advice, um, I don't think anyone has said, oh, I wish I practiced more. Um, it, it's always they they felt the pressure of seeing a 156-player field out there, and they were planning on leaving the course, and 80 guys were still out there. So they decided to spend two more hours out there. And um, I, I feel like I hope I won't succumb to that pressure. Um, I, I had to learn that lesson back in um, at the end of 2018. I had played horribly on the um, web.com corn ferry tour. Um, lost my status, finished probably like 150th. Um, went to first stage, missed there. So now I'm I'm many years into my career and and looking at, you know, full on unemployment, no place to play and have to re-qualify for the Latin tour. And that was the first time in my career where I really had to assess like, what the heck did I do wrong? And what, what led me here? And it was, it was over practice, overwork Monday through Wednesday. Um, you know, I was, I was either making the cut and playing poorly and flying Sunday night and then getting ahead of the Monday pro-am and playing 18 holes on a new course. And then, um, playing 18 holes on Tuesday and then practicing for four or five hours on Wednesday when I didn't have access to the course and making sure I had every note and detail on where to hit it and where not to hit it. And then come Thursday when it's time to tee it up, I just didn't have the energy to execute. I, I had all the information required of where to go and where not to go. But if your body's beat and um, you can't execute, well, it doesn't really matter. So um uh, I went to Latin Q school, made it through, and then I, I committed to myself. I would not hit a single full swing shot on Monday that entire year. And um, I had seen I, over half of the courses, but then there was a good chunk that were brand new to me. And I stayed true to my promise. I didn't hit a shot. 
on Mondays. Um, you know, I would uh, play nine holes maybe on Tuesday and then learn the other nine on Wednesday. And and that was my practice. And I just, I had to trust my swing and my game knowing that that would, that would carry me enough. And um, lo and behold, I finished second on the order of merit that year. Um, so, so that was a cool revelation to me as far as like, Hey, you don't, you don't need to make this a, a 10 hour physical grind every single day leading up to the tournament. Like, um, trust in your swing, trust in what got you here and just kind of go from there. Yeah. I think that's a really big piece of, of being a rookie, you know, on tour and, and there's just everything so much better that it's like easier to practice. It can be fun, more fun to practice because everything's perfect and everything, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. Um, but so we, we've done a lot of forward looking and, 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 and we'll continue to do that, but I want to go back now to 2010, you graduate air force, um, you know, you served four years, which the Navy's requirements five. So, I mean, I know air force is easier in every capacity. Okay. So I just assume okay. that, uh, but, uh, no, so, so, so you, so you served four years. Tell us about that. Tell us about keeping your game in shape. I know you played a lot of the all air force armed for, for forces, uh, championship things, but then, then, then I'm more curious about the transition. You leave active duty in 2014 and, and get, get back into golf. So, so take our listeners, take us through some of, some of that. Sure. Yeah. So graduated in 2010 and then uh, I turned professional right away, but that's just because I was eager to um, have the ability to bring home a paycheck whenever I played golf. So um, I would, I'd be able to play in, you know, a state open um, or a couple mini tour events each year. Um, and that was pretty much the extent of it. But um, so the air force assigned me as a nuclear missile operator, uh, which put me in a crew partner, a hundred feet underground in a hardened silo. And uh, we were directly connected and in charge of 10 of our nuclear missiles. So our primary mission is to launch if the president sends the order. And then uh, otherwise, we are in charge of all of the tests, exercises, maintenance, um, security responses, uh, anything that, that happens to the missile um, or any status that um, the missile shoots out to us, we are the first uh, first line of, of deciding what crew needs to go out there, uh, what maintenance needs to happen. Um, anything that happens to the missile goes through us first. So um, I, all in all, I spent almost an entire year underground in those personnel silos by the end of it. Um, and then during my active duty time, you know, I practiced on my off days um played in men's club events on Wednesdays I had off and you know just really balanced keeping my game up along with a full-time job is essentially what it was and um yeah I I was fortunate to play in the all air force championships the armed forces championships and then one world military championship and um most viewers probably don't know this but each service air force army navy and marines they uh they hold a a trial to um, become a member of the six person team of each service. Um, so it's basically a, a 72 hole tryout, top six guys make the team. And then all of those top six teams come and compete at the armed forces tournament. And those top six from that 72 hole event make the armed forces team. And then if there's a world military championship that year, those six people get to represent the United States. Um, so yeah, I had won, I won three air force championships, four armed forces championships, and then uh, a world military championship as well, um, during my active duty time. And, uh, probably the, the most fun story came from, I think the 2011 air force championship is at Luke air force base, pretty good desert golf course in Phoenix. And, um, I shot 29 under par after four days. I mean, you hold a web.com tournament there or a corn Ferry event or a PJ tour event, whatever 29 under is going to be pretty darn close to the leading score. Um, so it was kind of an out of body experience, still one of the best four days I put together. And uh, the next air force um, player was at even park. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it was, it was just uh, it, it was, it was fun. I mean, 
people were rooting for me just to go deeper. They, you know, they knew they were playing for five spots and um, yeah, I, I, I still have some incredible relationships from, from those guys that I got to play with over those four years. Um, and then, yeah, I, I separated after four years. Uh, you, you owe five out of a service Academy, but uh, I was able to take advantage of just uh, at the time the air force was shrinking their budget and personnel numbers. And, and I was, I was chomping at the bit to start my golf career. So um, I, I applied under one of those programs and got accepted. So um, separated right at my four-year mark. And, uh, and then a, a week later after my separation, I won my first uh, professional event um, as a full-time pro golfer uh, on the e-golf tour and cashed a, a massive check of $10,000. And, uh, and then we were off and running from there. So I, I've heard Billy say this term that uh, that the mini tours are like professional gambling. You know, you're you're paying your own way, and you're trying to basically split that pot of money that you all put in uh, into uh, you know the, the winning hands, or maybe just the winner actually on net. You know, does well that week. I'm curious to walk me through the maybe the the ups and downs of the the mini tours when you when you finally separated and you know made your way to the Corn Ferry Tour. You know, when did you have? Uh, maybe doubts. When did you have highs, lows? How, how did your family support you during that those highs and lows? Yeah. So, um, yeah, many many tours is tough, um, and, and getting to the PJ Tour is just it's all about getting through the bottleneck of opportunity. I mean, there there are guys that are PJ Tour worthy that are still on the mini tours because they haven't been able to make it just to final stage. You know, they can't get through first or second for whatever reason, whether it's, you know, mental or, you know, unfortunate sickness every year in the winter, um, you know, whatever it is. I mean, there's, there's just so much talent out there. So to get to the PJ tour is just, yeah, there is just a, I call it a bottleneck of opportunity. Um, and, and it's costly. Um, I had saved up $5,000 in my, you know, quote golf account, um, when I separated from the air force, and, you know, I thought, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty smart, pretty savvy. This will this will keep me going for a while. And, you know, won that first event for 10. And then fast forward just like four or five months and playing pretty good golf. And my money was almost dried up already. Um, and it, it's just astounding. I mean, every week costs around two to three thousand um, dollars. Yeah, many many tour golf is is organized gambling. Um, the purse comes straight from the entry fees because there, there typically are no sponsors. So there's no extra money coming in. It's if you have 50 guys playing at a thousand bucks a pop, your purse is going to be around, well, in a perfect world, 50 grand, but then there's course expenses, staff expenses, all that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's organized gambling and, um, you know, I, we've had a lot of conversations in my family and, and, you know, coining the term, well, we, we could invest in the stock market right now, or we could invest in, in me and my golf and hope that that will, that will produce a higher return. Um, and we actually did that last winter, um, before entering the 2023 season. Um, I had done another assessment as to, you know, why the heck am I still on corn ferry and not getting close to graduating? And I realized that um, my 50 to 100 to 100 yard proxy was just not cutting it. And I wasn't making enough birdies, especially on the Corn Ferry Tour when, Brian, you mentioned, you know, sometimes it can be a birdie fest. Um, you know, I'm typically in the fairway and a wedge in my hand and making pars or even bogeys too often. So uh, we, we thought long and hard um, about purchasing a track man and we ultimately decided that, yeah, this is, this is an investment, you know, we're going to have to move some money out of our current investments account investment accounts, because we aren't, I wasn't planning on this at all. It was, it was basically kind of like, you know, one of those things you, you, you wake up and dreamt about and you're like, Oh, I, I think I should, I should follow this and, and think about it a little more seriously. Um, and so, you know, we spent the, the 20 ish grand on a track man and, and saw it as an investment in my career. And, and I focused solely on 50 to hundred yard 
wedge shots um, for the remainder of that offseason. And uh, second tournament of the year on Corn Ferry Tour, I had uh, I finished solo third and I had probably six to seven up and downs from the fairway from 70 to 90 yards that were kickings. I mean, it was it was night and day the confidence I had from the middle of the fairway with a lob wedge in my hand. Um, I mean, not only did it lead to more birdies in scoreable situations, but if I was wayward off the tee, it, it allowed me to punch out to a number I was comfortable with and almost know that I'm going to walk away with par instead of trying to hit the hero shot and advancing close up to the green and try to get an up and down. Um, so, you know, this, this year can be attributed to, you know, leaning in on that kind of scary investment. Um, and, you know, lo and behold, it paid off. So um, yeah, just, you know, a couple, couple cool stories and testaments to, you know, what it takes grinding for mini tours and yeah, you gotta, you gotta spend money to make money in this, in this game for sure. I'm curious, maybe a, a two-part question. H- how would you assess your game? I was actually chatting with one of your uh, former assistant coaches at the Air Force Academy, uh, Dan V. Now, Colonel Colonel Dan V. He said the ball sounds different coming off of uh, a Tom's Club. So I'd imagine you're you're prodigious when it comes to length. And I was digging through your stats. You hit a lot of fairways though for a guy that hits the ball a long way. You made a ton of birdies. It sounds like you've improved the uh, the the shorter you know pitch shots and and sort of attacking wedges. I'm curious, the first part of the question is, you know, assess your game, uh, state of strengths, maybe areas of opportunity. And second, you know, do you have specific goals that you'd share with us about, you know, what you what you look to achieve, whether those are, you know, specific stats or things that you're looking to to improve upon this year? Colonel Dan probably was talking about Kyle Westmoreland when he said the ball sounds different. Um, now, you know, granted, um, I'm you know, me, me and Kyle are the two most talented players to, to go through that, um, go through the Air Force Academy. So um, I can understand that statement, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm above average on driving distance. I, I carry it 295, 300. Um, it's, it's nothing crazy or that's impressive. above average. Yeah. Like, okay. Just keep going. Yeah. yeah. But uh, it, it's funny on the, on the corn Ferry tour, there is, you know, there, there's me and my category and a, and a, a log jam of guys that are around that distance. And then it seems like there's a gap from like 300 to 315. And then there's the select 10 guys that just carry it like 320 to 330. And, you know, it's, it's those guys with superhuman speed um, that are just really impressive. And, and, Honestly, I don't think I'm ever going to chase that kind of speed. Um, I'm 34, um, you know, trying to fight the dad bod and, and, you know, just knowing the strengths of my game. Um, I, I keep it down the middle quite often and um, I don't really have a big miss. My, my miss tends to be first cut or, or just in the primary rough. And <laughs> honestly, that, that may be a penalty out on the PJ tour because that's where the the rough is, is the thickest. And I've witnessed some tournaments where, you know, Phil Phil's famous for blowing at 40 yards offline and he's on the trampled grass that is, that is trampled towards the green. So it's down grain and he's always got a shot and, or, he, or he's in an opposite fairway with a shot over the trees. And um, you know, my misses are, are small enough to be in the lush rough and, you know, buried in a lie, but um yeah, my 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 accuracy off the tee and and iron game is pretty solid too. I just I I have misses, um, but they're they're smaller on the spectrum. I would say for tour average, um, that that's my guess going into it. Um, I could be proven wrong, um, you know, very very soon. But but um, that's the confidence I'm going in in with is knowing that um, my driver usually keeps me in play and puts me in a scoreable opportunity. Um, driver is one of my favorite clubs in the bag. And, you know, I, I even love hitting a, a 50% low driver that carries about 240 and can run another 50 yards off of that. So the opportunity to get in trouble, um, is, is very limited with that shot. And, uh, I've been working a ton on my short game. My putting's gotten a lot more consistent this year, um, converting a lot more birdies. 
So yeah, I mean, weaknesses are our sand game, but I've been putting a lot of hard work and time into that. And, um, you know, just, just overall consistency on the short game. I need to get better at converting up and down uh, when I do get into trouble. But as far as goals uh, for next year, that's a good question. And honestly, I haven't even gotten that far. Um, I, I know from a mental standpoint, I, I am not going to be chasing 125 or making the cut because whatever your mind focuses on your results are going to tend towards that. Um, I've learned that just from playing so many years on the corn Ferry tour of, you know, I could be, I could be near the lead and I glance at the cut and all of a sudden I make a couple bogeys and I'm closer to the cut than I was the lead. Um, so I I've, I've learned that where, you know, I'm, I'm going to take the confidence I have from the great year I had this season and just just trust that I can compete with the with the best guys on tour and you know see how many times I can get into contention yeah I uh, I don't have any goals as far as cuts made or, or or cuts missed or anything um you you could look at my stats from this year and say wow this guy missed way too many cuts um to be successful but when I made the cut I made it count so um yeah that's a that's that question is going to prompt me to do some introspective thinking on as, as far as what goals I'm going to put down on paper leading into the season. But um, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm getting the itch to play being, being a month removed from competition and uh, definitely looking forward to what's in store in January. Well, Sam Saunders said it like this once you were talking about, you know, carry it two ninety three hundred you know, and, and all, all, all that. And that's average. Um, I assure you it's not average. But um, he said on the Corn Ferry Tour, I'm an above average hitter, or I'm a, excuse me, I'm going to start this over. On the Corn Ferry Tour, I'm a below average hitter with an above average short game. On the PGA Tour, I'm an above average hitter with a below average short game. So there, there definitely is um, a bit of a different game that's played even between the Corn Ferry Tour and the, and the PGA Tour. And, and that short game is is definitely where you separate yourself a little bit more because everybody hits it really good kind of, kind of thing. So um, <clears throat> that's, it's, it's, I, I think the, the corn Ferry tour is more of a hitters tour and, and the PGA tour is more of a, I mean, some of this is changing now the, the game's changed so much in the last five, five years or, or whatever, but, but I think it's still because of some of the, the firmness that, that we alluded to earlier there, there is just a little bit more um, finesse in the game on the PGA Tour. Although I think much of that's probably going away from when I started playing. But And honestly, I think there's going to be a learning curve on, you know, just doing all of the math when it comes to choosing a shot. Um, I mean, a, a lot of the events on the Corn Ferry Tour are point and shoot as far as the greens go. You're, you're trying to land the ball as close to the pin as possible. And um, we, we have a good number of events where um, it, it's dried up, it's firm. And all of a sudden, you know, you're talking, all right, I have a 115 yard shot. I got sand wedge in my hand, but we need to land this 107, 108. And, you know, it, it's kind of easy to forget that last step of, you know, the bounce on the green um, when you're used to throwing darts all the time. So um, yeah, I know I'm going to have to be intentional on, on uh talking through with me and my caddy like yeah these firm conditions are are now our new normal we're gonna have to get used to accounting for all right where are we landing this where are we finishing this um because even finishing pin high i know is not always the best place to be sometimes you got to be short sometimes you got to be long um very so, rarely long only at riviera but very rarely long okay perfect <laughs> um so yeah it you know it's just like like you alluded to, Billy, it's just a whole new experience, a uh, whole new ball game, and yeah, there's going to be a lot to learn. Good steep learning curve, um, but yeah, I mean, I've been I've been playing golf for 27 years now. Um, it, it's 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 going to be new, but not not that new, you know. So you mentioned being a little maybe itching to get back in competition. I know you live in the Dallas, Texas area. There seem to be these pockets of, 
you know, PGA Tour players a lot, obviously, in the in the Jupiter, Florida area. But there seems to be a, a small contingent, smaller, if you will, contingent in the Dallas, Fort Worth area. Who do you get out and practice with? Who do you play with? Uh, you know, what are your money games? Whose number do you have in terms of, uh, you know, always, always beating them? I'm, I'm curious what the uh, the Dallas area looks like these days. Yeah. So I'm, I'm like slightly removed from the, the big heavy pro golf scene in Dallas. I live up North, um, probably about 30, 40 miles North of Dallas center. Um, I play at um, old American golf club and they host an LPGA event every year. Uh, Volunteers of America, I think is what it's called. Uh, it's a great link style course. There's, there's bunkers in the way um annoyingly on every single hole in the fairway and then uh multiple sections on every green um um so it's a really good uh practice course for sure um and then i'm up near tpc craig ranch as well where they have the byron nelson um but i'm you know i'm kind of in the in the family area up up north and once when you get closer to dallas center you have trinity forest and merido and um dallas national and those big clubs where a lot of the um, the bigger tour players are at. Um, so I, um, uh, I'm pretty close with Kevin Doherty. He's out at Merido and we've had some good money games, um, over the last couple months, the Cootie brothers are out there as well. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the beauty about Dallas is, you know, every guy's kind of at his own club and you can kind of just club hop between, um, between different pro games that you set up. So, um, we'll play at uh, the course my coach is at, Denton Country Club, you know, hop over to Merido, hop over to Dallas National. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a lot, a lot of opportunities to set up money games in the offseason. Um, the Northern Texas PGA even has a, a small tour called the Players Tour. And um, that's a that's a perfect little tune up for um, entering the season. I, I can't recall if they start in late December or early January, or even if I'll have an opportunity to play in those this year, but um, I've definitely utilized them in the past to tune up my game. Um, is this the know, one JJ Colleen is usually cleaning up on? Is he, is he still dominating the North Texas uh, PGA section there? Um, I don't recall seeing his name out here recently, but it, it's, it's cool because it's, it's almost like a mini corn fairy event um, in the, in the last couple of years um it's you know some new up-and-coming names that you don't recognize and then there's there's 10 15 corn fairy guys from the dallas area and and even you know some pj tour names as well that pop up um you know pros pros when they're itching to play they'll play in anything so um yeah a lot, a lot of good opportunities um dallas super easy to travel out of being central in the states um weather is decent enough to to live here year-round um, so it's, we, we moved here six years ago and it's, it's definitely been, been good for the game. So I know uh, charity is a big part of, of your experience as well. Obviously you want to play well, but each week there will be the opportunity and Billy probably knows this full well. There's, there's usually a base nearby. There's usually some military activation of some sort, uh, going on at PGA tour events. I'm curious with, with the foundations and the, and the things that you support, um, you know, maybe what are you thinking about for this year in terms of of giving back or, or representing charities that you you're you're passionate about? Yeah, so I've <clears throat> I've been a partner and supporter of the Fools of Honor um, since really since I graduated back in 2010, and um, I mean I I think everyone knows who Folds of Honor is now. I kind of had to do the the elevator pitch back in 2010 2011 when they were starting out, but. Um, you know, they've given probably hundreds of millions of dollars in, in scholarships for children of deceased or wounded veterans. And now they've even opened it to first responders, which is amazing. Um, so um, they're, they're just an organization that gets it. Um, and um, they're big in the golf community. And they're just, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very proud to, to represent them and, and still support them in, in any way they need me. And then... Um, <clears throat> I lost my brother to suicide in January of 2020, right before our season kicked off. And uh, he was a major in the Air Force, two years older than me. Uh, he, he also went to the Air Force Academy. We got to overlap two years on the golf team there. Um, and uh, long story short, 
um, I decided to partner with uh, an organization called One Tribe Foundation. They're based out of Fort Worth, Texas, and um, they provide services for um, service members that are separating or retiring from the military. Um, and they help them establish a sense of purpose that that is very easy to lose when you leave the military um, and you leave that mission mindset. Um, <clears throat> so um, they're able to provide services for those folks as well as um, come around families and provide services for uh, spouses and children that have been affected by veteran suicide. So um, they're, they're just no, another organization that are doing God's work. And um, I did a birdie campaign for them uh, back in 2020. Um, and yeah, I'm sure I'm going to find something creative to do with them again this year. Um, you know, maybe, maybe coordinate something while the By Byron Nelson is here, um, you know, that just being, being so local to the Dallas area. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just so grateful that I'm able to be on a bigger platform with bigger outreach now. So, you know, some people might think it's, it's odd that I'm comfortable talking about my brother and his passing, but I committed early on that, uh, after I lost him, that I wasn't going to suppress that or, or how it happened, because if I did that, I wouldn't be able to help anyone else out in the future. So, um, you know. I, I see my promotion and graduation of the PJ Tour just as a blessing and an opportunity to uh, further that platform of, um, you know, overall military support, veteran um, support um, for awareness of veteran suicide and, and outreaches and preventing that. And um, yeah, I, I, I love representing the Air Force and all the military out there on the golf course. Well, thanks very much, Tom, for sharing that. My condolences to you and your family, obviously, on your on your brother. But thank you for sharing that and, and helping to raise awareness for what you do. You know, we're we're soon to have Veterans Day here here in the U.S. Um, and oftentimes, people will, you know, sometimes ask what they what they can do, how they can help. And I I always encourage them to, you know, find foundations like the One Tribe Foundation or Folds of Honor, where they're really giving back to to families and and helping to drive awareness for, for things that, you know, the three of us as veterans, you know, perhaps understand more than most, but I think all of us, uh, you know, our listeners have an empathy for the armed services. And so thanks Tom for, for what you do and what you'll do this year to, to help drive awareness there. Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to uh, pivot back to your time at the air force Academy. Uh, I have a story if you don't come up with this one, but I'm curious, you know, Billy and I played, played golf, at the Naval Academy. It comes with its own share of, uh, of shenanigans, I'm curious, what is your your perhaps funniest or or best Air Force Academy golf story? You know, you're out on the road, you're traveling. You, there, there's there's often some uh, some hijinks that that happen from from time to time. Oh gosh, my coach is going to kill me for this. But we had a we had a kid on the team. His nickname was Laser, and that's because he he always had this high powered pocket pen laser with him. Um, and I mean, this thing could shoot like three, four miles. Um, and it was the size of a pen. It was, you know, back in. Sounds like mm, something the Air Force would have. And and back in that time, it was just, you know, super cool technology. And uh, so we get to the Tucker event. Um, I think New Mexico State, um, State's event in Albuquerque. And, and we get to, our get to our hotel and Laser is traveling with us and. Um, I have his laser with me and um, we get checked in, get in our rooms and I go out on the balcony and I'm just kind of shooting it off in the distance. And I, I hit this building and it, and um, there's just like reflections everywhere and kind of linger on it for a little bit, move it around. Don't really think anything of it. It's so far away. I can't really see what it is. Um, and then that's, that's kind of it. That's the end of the story. I go back inside and um Probably less than five minutes later, we have cops at the hotel identifying my room specifically where this laser came from. Uh, turns out that building with all the reflections was an air traffic control tower. And it is a federal offense to interfere um, 
in any capacity with air traffic control. And so when that laser hit, everyone knows what a what a air traffic control tower looks like. It's you know kind of an octagon of of windows at all at all different angles. And that laser just entered the glass and bounced around and probably half blinded all the all the innocent <laughs> poor unsuspecting guys in there trying to do their job. And kudos to the police department for being able to spot what hotel room it came from. Uh, anyway, um, it was it was late at night, and my coach handled it, and uh, he was on the phone all day the next day during our practice round trying to put this fire out because I mean it is it is legitimately a federal offense that I had committed, <laughs> and he, uh, um, yeah, he I think he had a, a brother or something. Um, in the DA's office or who knows what, and just chalked it up to an honest mistake and, and, you know, just, just kids being dumb kids. And honestly, I didn't even know what I was doing. Um, and man, I, I, I wish I could tell you, you know, I, I won the tournament that week or something uh, <laughs> as the end of the story, but, but frankly, I don't even recall how that week turned out. I, I think I played okay, but um, probably half of my coach's gray hairs came from that night alone. Um, that's probably the, that's probably the craziest story that I have. Well, well, glad you were able to avoid, uh, you know, jail or, or worse Leavenworth, uh, yeah, as, as a mil- military jail and, and you, you're able to, to join the PGA tour. Well, let's get you out of here on what we call our emergency nine, some rapid fire questions. And I, I will get us started here. Uh, Tom, I'm curious, what is your favorite golf course in the world? Oh, it hands down Eisenhower blue. That's the Air Force Academy's home golf course. Um, I know for a fact Billy will probably agree with me, and if he doesn't, he's probably lying. Wait, where's this place? Come on. Uh, no, I, I've I've never been to Colorado Springs, if I'm honest. Um, so I've never 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 played there. Um, I, I hear there's a decent course in Annapolis, but we're gonna change the subject and go oh, really, to- really quick though, because this well, I'll interrupt our emergency nine. George would love this, he's not able to join us because he'll often interrupt. I think it is actually overdue. We do an annual army navy match. I actually think there ought to be a navy air force match, home and home. The boys should get out there to Colorado Springs, your guys should get totally. over to Annapolis. Let's let's get that going, Billy. How, how do we make that one happen? All right. Well, we got the Commander in Chief's Cup now. You, you know, we we brought kind of back the old Service Academy classic, but we got the the, the Commander in Chief's Cup um, new kind of you know. Any rate, um, so we're kind of trying to do it, but it's not you know it's not it's not home and home or or, or that kind of thing. Um, all right. So favorite golf course on a professional, like on a competitive tour, then you kind of went off tour. How about on tour? Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to go back to my Latin roots and it's, um, it was my favorite course before I got my victory. Um, but it is in, uh, Cordoba, Argentina. And I won a tournament out there in 2019 and it is just the, narrowest most traditional tree line golf course you will ever play um and i mean it it's probably one of the oldest courses in argentina as well i think it was the course that and hell cabrera grew up on um but there you are forced to shape your shots that uh you can't go over any of these trees um it it paints the picture for you on whether you need to work it left to right or right to left and uh, it's one of those courses um that Billy mentioned that you can never be long. Um, just a, a very cool traditional venue. All right. How about your dream foursome? You can pick uh, any three partners. They have to join you. You can play any golf course. Who are you teeing it up with? Um, I get this question a lot and I've never really got a, a perfect answer that, that I like. Um, it would be me and my brother and probably any other two guys. It doesn't really matter. All right. We talked about courses. Um, we talked about who you're playing with. One hole, favorite hole in golf. Favorite hole in golf. All right. Give me a second here. I've played a lot of courses. This one we might have could, to edit out. Could college. be one you aspire to play as well. You've watched on yeah. TV and you, you hope yeah. to play someday. Can I do my least favorite hole? <laughs> oh, it's anything Absolutely. you want. Least favorite hole is... Uh, 15 at exuma have you have you played that billy no no i never 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 played the the bahamas events on on corn ferry okay it's the uh 
Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's the the first event um, of the season on Corn Ferry. It is ocean left and jungle right, and the wind is usually howling 20 to 35 miles per hour. Um, I managed to hit the fairway this year, which is the hardest part of the hole. And then um, it's, a, it's a real risk award going into the green. And uh, I, I opted to do the smart thing and tried to lay up and laid up twice out of bounds, hitting on my line um, by 12 inches and by six inches, it just bounded and, and rolled through and then proceeded to lay up again and made a 10 and um, missed the cut by one that week. Um, so fought hard, tried to, tried to come back, didn't give up. But uh, yeah, I walked away with a 10, having not really hit a bad shot at all. Um, so yeah, that's my least favorite hole. How about your favorite club in the bag right now? What is just the, the club that you pull or your caddy pulls for you and you just uh, maybe get a, get a smile on your face when, when it goes in your hand? Yeah, it's it's absolutely lob wedge now. Ever since I invested in the track man, um, get me give me seventy five to ninety five yards and and I'm licking my chops. So now that uh, Navy has gained all the Air Force fans for the game in Foxborough on December 9th, who's going to win Army versus Navy? For our listeners who don't know, unfortunately, the Air Force Academy lost to the Military Academy Army this weekend. And therefore, to win the Commander-in-Chief's Cup, Navy needs to beat Army in December, and Air Force would retain the Commander-in-Chief's Cup. If Army beats Navy, then Army will win the Commander-in-Chief's Cup. So who's going to win in December, Tom? Oh, I can't believe I have to say this out loud. Uh, oh, uh, me. Uh, oh, he's uh, cutting out. He's he's faking uh, to cut out. He's faking. Uh, this 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 is fake. You, we we, we have plenty. We yeah, have, we have plenty of technical difficulties. No, no, no. It was fine. We heard everything you just said. I think you said go Navy, beat Army. Is that what you said? Uh, 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 okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's what he said. Got it. Yeah. The, the words the words literally can't come out of his mouth fast enough. This is amazing. Well, I'll, I'll give you one, and maybe this uh, will jog your memory a little bit. But what is the shortest putt you've ever missed? Oh, give me a break. It's not 11 inches like Barstool said. Um, what, it was like 10? I mean, it was it was more than a foot. That's that's for certain. But yeah, the the lip out was a good three and a half, four feet. Um, almost hit almost hit my size 16 feet. Um, yeah, for those of you listening, feel free to go look up. Tom Whitney, short putt, missed. You'll you'll have a good laugh. All right. What's your sense of Tiger's future? We ask everybody this question. Is he a ceremonial golfer? Will he compete again? Will he win again? I mean, he's gonna tear up the TGL. Um, you know, when you when you remove walking, um, and you know, just just hitting a handful of shots into the screen, he'll, you know, there's gonna be no one better. Um, I'd, I'd like to see him be competitive again. Um, I've never really rooted against a guy. He's, you know, he's had his fair share of faults, but we all do. We, um, you know, there's, there's no denying that, but, um, yeah, I, I think he is good for the game. Uh, as a, as a competitor, I would love to compete with prime tiger or even bounce back tiger. Um, but yeah, man, his, I, I wake up with a crick neck and struggle to hit the ball to imagine all the surgeries that he's gone through and everything in his life. Um, man, I don't, I don't know if, if, if a comeback is in his future. I hope, I hope it is though. All right. Well, we'll get you out of here on this last one. We are the living it up podcast. So we want to know outside of golf, what do you do to live it up? Um, chase around my four kids to all of their sports and um, when I'm not chasing them around, I love doing uh, any sort of woodworking or, or building. Um, I've, I've built a set of bunk beds for my daughters. I built a 500 square foot deck at our house in Colorado and a handful of pieces of furniture in our house. So, um, yeah, if if golf weren't were uh, not to work out in the future and and 
let's say I had all the all the money in the world or money isn't an issue, I'd probably open my own wood shop and and either make furniture or repurpose it or who knows what. But yeah, working with tools is is something that I love. Very cool. Well, Tom, thanks for joining us. As you said earlier, keep getting one percent better. We wish you all the best in your rookie year uh, coming up on the PGA Tour. Thanks, guys. That was that was fun to be a part of. Appreciate it. Thanks, Tom. Best of luck this year. Thanks for listening to the Living It Up podcast. Follow us on the Twitters at Living It Up Pod. See you there.